hello guys and welcome to NSF Talks. Uh, NSF Talks is still a brand new series to dive deeper than ever before into the complexity of Norwegian Spitfire Foundation, our mission and the various of people that are involved in helping us achieve our goals and that is to acquire, restore, operate and maintain Spitfires. So uh, without further ado, just let's welcome our guest for today, uh, Erik Östensjö. Uh, Erik is another extremely important part of our media group uh, where he holds several positions including photography, social media publishing and webmaster. He's often been traveling uh, around Norway and Britain as a photographer on behalf of uh, NSF. Uh, he lives in the city of Haugesund uh, on the west coast of Norway with his partner Eva and two kids Sindre and Eskil. So welcome Erik. Thank you. Yeah. First, uh, first question. Um, just tell me about yourself and and your background. Yeah, I um, I grew up uh, not too far from you actually uh, in the east uh, of Norway, uh, and uh, my father was in the air force. Uh, actually, I, my first two years on this planet was uh, inside the military base uh, where uh, my father was uh, working on the Nike Hercules uh, ground-to-air uh, missiles um, and we yeah moved on from there and we went on to, to civilian work and uh, yeah we stayed close to, to Drammen and uh, there was this uh, glider uh, airstrip there, a grass airstrip, uh, which uh, held, uh, I think, once a year. They had uh, a very small air show, but still fascinating and, uh, and drew a lot of people. Uh, that was the first place I saw uh, Harvard LN Tex, uh, which is very famous in Norway. It came to Norway in I think it's 79 or something. Um, and the first time I saw it in the early 80s, uh, I think it was the, the coolest thing I've ever seen. Uh, that sound from the propeller and that that uh, silver finish and everything, it was so cool. I, I had seen Tiger Moss uh, before that, but uh, this topped everything. And one thing I remember uh, was uh, famous author, Norwegian author, Erik B. He was a poet and author, and I think it was TV presenter and yeah, lots of different stuff. Uh, one time I was was there at uh, Hoxund, uh, it's called. Uh, he he uh, had a flight in in uh, in Atlantic if I'm not mistaken. And uh, this huge man, he was more than two meters tall. Uh, at least it looks looked like that for, uh, to me. He, he was so excited about his flight. He, he had, had just landed and he swore a lot. And <laughs> it, uh, it uh, yeah, became a lasting uh, memory for me, uh, this huge giant. Uh, Walking on the grass. Yeah. So, so when uh, was this? Seventies uh, or eighties? Uh, early eighties. Early eighties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
so he, he was still uh, quite uh, strong and going back then. He's dead now, uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well, enough of that. Uh, we also went to some um, some air shows, uh, close family air shows at uh, Rygge Airbase uh, in um, well a bit south of Oslo. We saw some some uh, good stuff there. F5s in formation, very 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 close to the ground, uh, almost uh, knocking over some trees and and. Uh, <laughs> Blowing our hair, <laughs> uh, uh, stuff you don't see anymore. That was also the first place I saw uh, a tiger moth, and actually the F-16 was also there. Um, I was very disappointed by the F-16 because uh, that was the first time I, I saw a Norwegian one, and it was just grey. <laughs> So <laughs> the only F-16 I, I had seen at that age, I think it, I was, well, six, seven years old. Um, it was the prototype and it, it was this fancy uh, uh, paint with uh, red, white and blue and lots of letters and everything over it. And here was this plain gray aircraft, re really dull, uh, yeah, disappointing. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think that anymore, but um, well, and we, we went to, uh, of course, this was my father, he, he, he took me to these things and uh, uh, we, we went to uh, large shows uh, in Norway mainly. Uh, I rem quite well remember one in uh, at Gardermoen, the main airport in Norway now. Uh, it was not that back then. It was more like Gatwick used to be, I think. Uh, charter uh, flights. Uh, and and uh, they had this huge air show in 1984. Uh, it was, I think, four or five display teams and everything you could dream of was there, even uh, the B-17, Sally B was there, uh, F-111s, uh, uh, A-10s, yeah, and well, all this um, made me more and more interested in, in this uh, aviation uh, say hobby uh, because that's all it has been for me always uh, my main interests actually um, and uh, it grew from there uh, I, didn't, I didn't know much about warbirds uh, back then I had seen Sally B but I was so young I think I was nine at that point and well I, I, I no, I've seen it uh, because I watched the video after, <laughs> and uh, but it was other other things that, uh, uh, yeah, um, well, stuck to my mind uh, more than than that. Uh, but what really opened my mind was uh, an air show at Gardermoen again uh, in I think it was ninety. Or 1990, I'm not sure. Um, well, it was um, a joint 
air show with the Scandinavian Historic Flight and All Flying Machine Company. They brought everything they had, I think, and a lot, a lot of other aircraft, uh, none of which I had seen before. And uh, well, I had read a lot of books and uh, and uh, seen photographs and, uh, and read all the stories and and there I could all of a sudden see them flying uh, alive. And that was an eye opener for me and uh, seeing all this. Uh, I think Lars Ness must have been there. I didn't meet him then, but. Uh, uh, I think my father knew him at that time. Um, uh, and of course, Ray Hanna, Mark Hanna was there and they they flew like they usually did. And uh, um, well, it was a fantastic experience. Um, then I went on to, well, the Air Force myself for a year as a conscript and um, well, not much happening for for uh, my main interest for for a while. Uh, I went on to become a student, and well, it we were well into the 2000s until I took up uh, uh, air shows and all that again. And I think the first air show I went to um, was at Sola in 2004 after all all my studying and uh, working and uh, that triggered something in me and um, just three uh, three years after that we went to Duxford for the first time my, me and my father and it was the september show we saw stuff you could only dream of uh, the p39 for instance it was actually the last show with the p39 there so oh quite lucky to see there that uh, and remember the rattling sound from that that strange assembly with the the engine behind the the pilot and all the gears and stuff making all these noises uh, towards the propeller so sounded really nerve-wracking to me but uh, <laughs> I guess the pilot trusted it um, yeah and, and from there, uh, we have been to Flying Legends and usually the September show every year after that. And well, things grew, uh, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There, you know, when you when we when we when you talk about um, your your background and how you got involved in the, all of this. Uh, we're not the same age, but we're, we're basically the same age. And I, I hear certain key uh, moments in time uh, that because uh, I, I was there too during those. Not in '84 because I, I was a bit too young, but uh, I went to all of those other air shows. Um, so I, I, I do see that uh, those air shows have made uh, uh, impression on on many people, uh, at least for those of us who are you know adults. Uh, today so uh, 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 I, 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 I specifically I remember the uh, historic air show at Gardermoon too uh, very well uh, I remember Ray Hanna's name uh, on the speakers and the Bouchon and the Spitfire doing uh, uh, Battle of Britain uh, dogfight 
So, and I think I was inside the Catalina as well. So. Yeah, I remember that one. I think it was the finish on it was uh, some kind of red brown blend, uh, very unusual. Uh, I don't remember the the paint scheme or, or, or the the markings on it, but uh, I the remember Mustangs that. Mustangs were, were Memphis Bell uh, camouflage. Yeah, they were, yeah. yeah. Two so or three was, of them, I think. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. I don't I don't remember them them flying. It's like it's it's weird what you remember and do not remember. Uh, I don't remember the Mustangs, but I, I do remember the Ray Hanna flying Speedfire for some reason. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, now we're on, now we're in the the two thousands. So, um, could you talk us through how you got involved with uh, Norwegian Spitfire Foundation? Yeah, I could say a little bit of that. Um, actually, if you stretch it a bit and, and uh, look at how I got into it, uh, it actually started with me going to Duxford and uh, photographing a lot. I wasn't very good. I think we can can will come back to that. But uh, well, um, at some point uh, we met up with uh, Martin Tesli, or he's better known as Tintin. He uh, he's a pilot in the Norwegian Historical Squadron, and he also owns several aircraft. Um, we met him at Duxford actually, and uh, we met father and him. We we agreed that we should uh, organize an air show in our hometown. Well, that's a good idea, we thought. And uh, a couple of years later, we were on uh, a lot of work, and uh, I did all the marketing, uh, photography, social media. Well, most of it actually. Um, and uh, that work was recognized by another group organizing uh, air shows at uh, Sola, just uh, south of uh, Haugesund, uh, close to Stavanger. Um, they invited me to come there and be their air show photographer. I, of course, I accepted that because you, you get access where, uh, to the other side of the fence and get to shoot uh, things that uh, normally other people do not. And uh, well, it grew uh, grew from there. I Again, I, I uh, got the responsibility for marketing, social media, uh, actually handling media. The, the published media and um, yeah more or less a one-man media group uh, and i also uh, hired some volunteer voluntary uh, photographers and also knut or summer uh, at one point uh, a bit later on uh, as a videographer there uh, because my responsibilities grew and grew. Uh, and uh, at some point, um, more or less the same people uh, um, joined uh, NSF at Sula and the local branch, uh, if we could call it that. Uh, and uh, they invited me to, to come there. And it was uh, Espen Chetland who uh, 
invited me. He he's also a, a Spitfire and Mustang pilot, uh, uh, flying regularly from Sula. Uh, in, and uh, well, he invited me. Lars Ness came, and uh, well, he introduced uh, the rest of NSF and showed us the the chart of the whole organization and. Uh, one box there uh, uh, got my interest, and that was the media group. Um, and I thought, well, why not? I, I uh, contacted Espen and uh, asked him if it was possible to join that group. A couple of days later, Lars Ness uh, phoned me and uh, asked uh, if I would like to join. And well, this was in 2016, I think. It just shows that if you do the work, you can can uh, yeah join and and, uh, and do do what you like, uh, what you're good at, and you can get get to know people and and really contribute contribute to to important work. Well, that's what I think uh, because uh, now we do a lot of exciting work in NSF and I'm happy to be a part of that. And as you said, I I have many different responsibilities. Uh, I've also tried some marketing against uh, airshow organizers selling air, air displays. Uh, I'm not doing that at the moment because of uh, my my day job, my paid work <laughs> has uh, consumed a, a bit of time there. But uh, well, this media work is really, really exciting, and uh, I love, of course, I love photography, and uh, this is a very, very good combination, I think, uh, uh, to to be able to to shoot what other people don't normally do uh, or get access to. For instance, we. Who who can access the lawn in front of, of Arcos at Duxford? It's like some people say it's like gold dust. It doesn't exist. It's it's unachievable. Uh, but uh, we do it. We flying in from Norway and uh, just walking in like we're friends or something. Uh, <laughs> well, I I. I I don't want to sound uh, ungrateful or, or taking it for granted, but it, it's it's really special. And uh, well, we put in the work and we get to do these uh, things, which are a bit, little bit extra, uh, and that's that's uh, really worth it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Totally understand what you're saying with you know uh, Arco and because you know that stuff is is basically off limits, yeah. and suddenly you know someone and and you're sitting inside. It's like it's this that's it's surreal. Uh, yeah. If you've been to Duxford for like a decade or so, and suddenly you you're situated you know somewhere else like Arco, it's uh, so so that so you've been with NSF for for five years or for 2016 so you've been involved with uh, a lot of these events that I spoke to Knut about uh, could you share some of 
those memories. Uh, um, well, some some of those things that you you found you know special. Uh, thinking of yeah. like RR two three two or or whatever you 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 remember the most. Yeah, I can do that. Um, well, the most recognized or or the best known things about us are is what we do in the UK. It gets them uh, well the highest publicity, and uh, that's what what most people see. But actually, I think what we do in Norway is is uh, the, well probably just as exciting um, because we we operate the uh, the Harvard, of course, and we operate uh, a Norseman. The only flying Norseman in Europe uh, looks like uh, most of them. Uh, the rest of them are in in Canada, <laughs> uh, and, and we use that as our well, you could call it a utility aircraft. We more or less our internal uh, taxi um, between air shows because air shows in Norway are either in June or a few maybe in late August, early September. That's when they happen. Nothing in between because then, then we all go on holiday. <laughs> uh, so it's very. Um, um, it's, it's a very tight time, time frame, maybe just two or three weeks. And then we get to go to all the shows we fly. Usually, often we, we fly between them. And those experiences flying in the Norsemen, really, really slow. Uh, it's, I think it's, uh, if you push it, it's around uh, 120 miles per hour. So it's, it takes a while, but uh, you get there in the end. Uh, and being able to, to uh, cover all these events uh, from from the air side of the fence is fantastic for for people like me and Knut and others creating this content, the the, the photos and the videos. And we, if we want something to stand out, we, we need to be where others can't be. And it's, it's uh, more or less like a dream to be able to do that, uh, I must say. Uh, I don't know if the pilots know how much that means, but it actually means a lot to be able to you know, uh, to do that. And um, they might just look at it, uh, it as work, but to us it's a hobby. It's what we work for. We love doing it. And um, that's, that's um, well, it's fantastic to, to to be able to share the, these moments with others uh, in that way and uh, contribute to, well, uh, raising the awareness of of, uh, of historic aviation and uh, the, what it means to to uh, to the history and uh, uh, yeah, it's really great. Um, that's that's the one thing. Uh, of course, we have brought history uh, back to Norway with uh, this uh, famous Spitfire 
RAB. Uh, it was RR232 disguised as PV181, I think. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, to see the, this Spitfire with the Norwegian flag stripes on it, which I think it happened for a couple of weeks in in real life. Uh, to see it uh, come to Norway and displaying at three air shows, we followed it everywhere. Um, well, you, you can't make that up. It just it's just fantastic to to be able to cover s uh, such an event. Uh, well, it was several events actually, but it, I'm lost for words. It's well, uh, it must be one of the top top uh, years uh, I've, uh, I've been involved with NSF and it's of course it's always good to also be able to bring the UK based aircraft back to Norway uh, because uh, we have the Mustang and we, we used to have a Sea Fury they have both been in Norway and uh, displayed at several air shows in Norway and uh, that shows that, that uh, NSF is capable of operating such aircraft and and uh, that, well, we are capable also of operating a Spitfire because we've shown it. We, we know how to do this. We, we are for real and uh, that's really important. Yeah, yeah. Th that is good words. That is, that is absolutely good words because you're absolutely right. Uh, and for me to um, 2017 was was an absolute highlight. Um, unfortunately, with with COVID, it's it's been different. But um, you know, you, you said that you 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 know as a kid you weren't involved with warbirds and, and that sort of thing. But uh, I I heard the name Rolf Arnebadig being like whispered or or talked about uh, by my dad and others since I was I was a kid. So just to see uh, that aircraft in those colors coming, you know, back is, is one of the highlights for me uh, with with anything in historic aviation, whether it's my books or being involved with NSF or anything like that. It's like it was uh, it, 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 in lack of better words, it was a dream come true. Um, just moving slightly on from from those events, uh, you are uh, a superb photographer so um thank you I, I i want you to i know there's a lot of people who uh, would like to take those photos that you do including myself uh, could you just talk us through some of those those important aspects or or your or, or how you got so good at taking those those photos because you didn't do this overnight this is has been you know an educational you know progress for you yeah, uh, that's really kind of you to uh, to, to say that I'm, I'm I'm that great great. But uh, well, uh, I, I actually I started with a uh, compact dig, dig, digital compact in the early 2000s. Took really awful photographs with it and. Um, well, in 2009, I borrowed a DSLR from my father. Uh, he gave me, uh, I think it was a Canon 400D or something. Uh, and a couple of kit lenses. 
lots of plastic. And the manual. That's all I got here. Here we have a camera. Read this. Okay, I thought uh, I can do that. And I put uh, the camera into auto, the green mode, and uh, shot two or three days in auto. And lots of frozen propellers. It was well. I could see that I, I had some talent in composing uh, photos, but I needed to do something about the the, uh, the exposures and uh, finding out how to to make the look make it look like uh, stuff in in uh, in a photo were moving because a frozen propeller with a stationary aircraft looks really really dull and doesn't look Can like it's moving Absolutely. at all. Absolutely. Um, and well, I, I gradually developed some techniques to to be able to lower my shutter speed and and uh, getting more and more uh, sharp photos, uh, keeper rate as we call it. Spent hours and hours reading books, forums, web pages, everything I could come across uh, with information and just minor tips on how to to do this. Uh, this, as I said, started in 2009 at Flying Legends and uh, it grew from there. Um, uh, the next year I had my own equipment and uh, um, well, I was ready to to shoot on a slightly higher level. I wouldn't say it was that much higher, but still a bit. Uh, um, to my regret, I shot in JPEG mode uh, for the to, to uh, well to to get a, a, as much room on my my memory card as possible. That was a, mis a huge mistake uh, because the files were more or less uneditable. Uh, lots of noise and really, really bad. Uh, so from there I learned shoot raw and don't look back and just buy memory cards and hard drives and everything. And well, spend the money. And uh, well, it's, it's expensive, but uh, it re requires at least uh, s some money, but you don't need to buy all the, the fancy huge bazookas if you are happy with, with uh, other equipment, of course. But, uh, well, if you want to shoot things that stand out a little bit from all the others, you need to, to spend more. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to say how much I've spent now, but uh, I think it's uh, close to enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, the equipment is not the most important thing, um, I must say, uh, for, for aviation photography or airshow photography. It's more about knowledge and, and uh, uh, using the correct shutter speed to make the propeller look like it's moving. If you're into um, panning, do that. Uh, landings and, and takeoffs, pan as much as you can. 
shoot fast series uh, to make uh, the the background blurry and the aircraft uh, really sharp, nice and sharp, and the propeller might look like it's full circle. Uh, takes a while to get there, but you will if you're uh, committed and uh, well, do a lot of practice. Uh, I actually. Well, it's n not really comparable, but um, where I live, we don't usually have warbirds, so uh, I practice on seagulls. <laughs> uh, they're really hard to shoot because they move fast. They they move their change directions really, really quickly. And uh, I found that uh, if I can pan a seagull at a uh, really low shutter speed, then I could pan just about everything. So that's what I use. It's a five minute walk from where I live and uh, I get to shoot. Uh, well, practice a lot and, and shoot that. And uh, that that uh, prepares me for the real the real stuff at uh, Duxford and, and other places. So funny yeah. because 2009, uh, that was also my first year with one of these, you know, more fancy cameras and yeah. I did exactly the same thing as you. I had no idea. I just put everything on auto. It looked good when I came home. Uh, the props were uh, frozen uh, and they were basically not worth of anything. So, um, but you know, I, I, I personally, I have, I've, I've always brought a camera to uh, these air shows, but mostly for myself because uh, I'm first and foremost, not a photographer, but, you know, a writer or a researcher, and we all have our, our place. So I'll just leave, you know, the, the super photos to someone else. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> that's that's really kind of you to say that, but uh, I, I, I always say I'm still in progress. I always like to develop further. I'm not, I'm never, 100% satisfied with what I shoot. I always want to get more out of it. And uh, I think that's what drives me to, to always do something new because I don't li like to to uh, stay and, and be happy with what I got yesterday. I want something new for tomorrow and, uh, and the coming days. So. Uh, you can almost almost see it from from show to show. They are different mm. because uh, I've learned something new. I learned if it's not the photography side, it might be just the developing. I, I don't Photoshop anything, but I I do minor adjustments, and and uh, uh, you can do that. Uh, by over editing and making things um, impressive, but um, that might not be the best way of showing your work. So I, I like to do that a bit subtle. And uh, yeah, yeah. And you, of you've course, also been you, you've been you've been air to air uh, as well, yeah. haven't you? Been photographing. Were yeah. you in the back of the Sea Fury or the Mustang photographing the other? Uh, well, on on that occasion, I was in the back of the Mustang. I was too tall for the Sea Fury. I was meant to uh, sit in there as well, but I I, uh, I was a, a few centimeters too tall. I, I wouldn't have uh, had room to to uh, use a helmet in it. Uh, 
So, <laughs> so that was that. But uh, yeah, uh, shot from Mustangs, Harvards, helicopters. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, and that's amazing. Um, I can't describe how, how that is to, to be up in the air, seeing other aircraft, historic aircraft beside you. And uh, it's just you hearing the pilot on the intercom, uh, communi communicating with each other, directing them and uh, shooting what we planned. Uh, I, I had uh, one shoot, yes, no, no, uh, last year uh, on uh, midsummer evening here in Norway. We could see all the fires on the ground, the, the smoke coming up. It was almost no wind, so the, the smoke went straight up. And uh, the mood was fantastic. Uh, I, I didn't shoot NSF aircraft at that time, but uh, uh, it was a fantastic experience uh, shooting uh, the Storch that used to be uh, at uh, Old Warden and a Cub, uh, simulating uh, the last uh, air battle uh, in World War Two. So, <laughs> um, do, do you have any guns. any um, any like inspirational sources, like photographers that you specifically you know look to for for inspiration or you know? How yeah. to do, do, do yeah. things? I um, I just need to found a book. Um, let me see. Yeah. I I um. I think Charles E. Brown. He had he made some fantastic books in the fifties. Um, shooting aircraft with. Uh, I don't know which kind of camera he used but of course it was a manual and film but if if it was a medium format or whatever i, I don't know but his uh, his photos are just fantastic uh, he shot every kind of aircraft in in royal air force uh, royal navy everything and uh, um, the way he did it back then that's uh, really something to stretch for now i think uh, i don't care for that much this modern uh, this this modern way of doing it where you close up extreme close up of just the cockpit or the pilot uh air clear I want to see the whole aircraft. Uh, and, and, uh, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. It, it's too much. Uh, yeah. Uh, lots of clouds and and th stuff around. It's that that puts it into context, uh, and I I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to do more of that because it's well. I, I don't think you can come any further up as an uh, uh, aircraft photographer than, than going air to air. Uh, it's really, really expensive. Uh, and uh, I've been fortunate enough um, to, to get invited to uh, 
stuff like this. And uh, well, uh, I think it's almost two years ago now. I photographed a Spitfire together with uh, two Norwegian F-16s uh, from a Mustang. And who gets to do that? <laughs> Well, uh, it was an, an amazing experience, I must say. Um, the, the the flight you referred to, where we, it was actually a aerobatic practice uh, close to Duxford with uh, Lars Ness in the Mustang and Eskil Amdal in the Sea Fury. Uh, Knut was also in the Sea Fury filming. Uh, me and Lars uh, in the Mustang. That was an aerobatic practice. Uh, we didn't really uh, have much time to to uh, photograph and do make the good videos in there. We had a few seconds in between, uh, so I managed to get a few good shots. But uh, the experience was just fantastic. Uh, several loops and barrel rolls and uh, everything you can think of uh, together with that other magnificent aircraft beside you. Uh, lots of horsepower and noise and well, yeah, fantastic experience, right. I must say. Yeah, um, I've, I've been uh, in the backseat of the Mustang too and that was something I will never forget. So I, I completely yeah. understand uh, uh, what you're what you're talking about? Um, we're going to round things up in a bit, but I have two more uh, questions that uh, just like to touch upon, and uh, one of them is not like totally NSF related, but we have been operating the Mustang and the Sea Fury, and that is Flying Legends, um, because uh, well, this year as well as last year uh, cancelled, uh, and in between all of that. Um, they had to move to uh, Cival. Uh, any any thought any thoughts on that? Because uh, because I know personally that uh, Flying Legends means a lot to me, and I know that I've been thinking about this for for some time just before uh, this podcast. Because I know Flying Legends means a lot to certain you know British people as well, uh, but I have a feeling that it might mean even more to foreigners. Would you would you agree to that or like what's your what's your thoughts on this? I I a hundred percent agree. It means a lot to us. And uh, actually, we plan our summer vacation around Flying Legends. And that's not because I take the whole family to Flying Legends. It's just me and friends. Sometimes my father. We go and the family wait for me to finish up Flying Legends, come back, and then we go to for our vacation. Uh, and we, it's of course, it's expensive for us to go to Flying Legends, um, but it also shows that it means a lot to us because we 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 spend all that money without hesitation. Hesitation. Um, I really hope they succeed at their new venue at Seivel. I hope it's big enough to uh, to uh, 
well, yeah, cover the cost because it, it can't be, exp uh, it must be really expensive getting all those aircraft from across Europe and uh, the USA because I, <clears throat> since I, I have been, been uh, selling air displays to, to shows, I know a bit about the cost and uh, for one aircraft and well, 50 aircraft, it's, yeah, it's uh, an expensive business and uh, it's a really high risk business weather-wise. Uh, you never know which weather and how many spectators you will get. Uh, well, they, they did something to that, uh, where they, it was pre-sale only. Um, I think that's, uh, that's a good move uh, for seeing it from the organizer side because I also organize their shows. And um, yeah, uh, I think it's, it, it will be some exciting years. Uh, it's sad that, that they're leaving Duxford. Um, I won't say too much about that, but uh, yeah, I, I would like, would I like to see them stay at Duxford because it's uh, it has all the room the infrastructure everything everything is there the, the Cambridge is there lots of beds and all you need to 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 be able to successfully uh, organize such a huge event because it's it, it is huge uh, you get, hear languages from all over the world. It's not strictly a British show. It's I I don't have the numbers, but uh, well, you you meet people from New Zealand, Australia, USA, all over Europe, of course. And I I can't think of another event that draws people from all all around the world in our interest uh, like flying legends does yeah yeah um yes uh, we're about to uh finish this off um det är en sån jobbgrej här men vi är kutter i den här delen efterpå men jag måste bara gå och fixa det men um, mens jag borte Eh, da bare ta det siste spørsmålet, og så kan du forklare det, og så kommer jeg tilbake, eller så får du bare, kan du bare forlate det. Eh, et, et eller annet. Ja. Ok. Um, last question, which is the most important part, uh, like I told Knut, and that is your fave mark of Spitfire and why? Yeah. Well, um... Um, the Mark 16 is no historic uh, reason for me to to love it that much, but I just love the way the way it looks, and uh, it's uh, the the uh, sort of the the ultimate development of the Mark 9, which is what we are restoring in the NSF. So uh, I think, yeah, just love it, and of course. Uh, we get to see it quite often in Norway, so that helps. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Good. 
I think Knut said the Mark 9, and I know what's mine, and it's not either 9 or 16, so we have uh, three different kinds of Spitfires. I, I think Very I know good. what you like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, well, I have to tell tell people now, it's, it's the Mark 12. So um, I might get into uh, why uh, at some other point. Anyway, yeah. um, we're about to close in on one hour, so... Uh, we are um, finished. Um, thank you, Eric, for uh, taking your time to uh, talk to NSF Talks about uh, your background and photography and air shows. Uh, I'm sure it's been interesting for many people to to hear. Um, any last thoughts? Uh, well, last thoughts. Uh, yeah, I'm really eager to uh, get our PL258 project going. Uh, and uh, I hope we could soon see some parts being made. That's my wish. And uh, I will contribute what I can to, to uh, make that happen. Uh, yeah, that's really exciting. And I want to see that flying uh, soon. Fully agree. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. Good. Okay. Thank you. And... Uh, I will see you guys next time for episode three of NSF Talks. Goodbye. Bye. Da runder vi den der. Ja, men bra, Erik. Kjempebra. Jeg tror den funker. Ja, det var... Jeg sleit litt med å snakke skikkelig når du gikk vekk. Jeg snakket med en vekk, ikke sant? Så bare tista i konsentrasjonen. Så du får bare klippe litt der. Jeg bare, jeg bare klipper det opp, og, og så det er ikke noe problem, og resten kan nesten stå sånn, så ja. eh, ikke, noe, ikke noe problem. Jeg, jeg, jeg tror jeg klipper litt med Knut også, så det er ikke noe problem. Så jeg skal se på det så fort jeg kan, og så sier jeg fra når det legges ut. Mm. Ja, men jeg tror det her er en, et bra koncept da. Så, ja, det tror jeg jo. Det er mange som... Høre på sånne ting mens de gjør noe annet, ikke sant? Mens de gjør noe annet. Det er media som, som sa det at som talkshows er helt ut fordi at enten så er du på TikTok-stadiet, der du skal liksom, det er instant satisfaction, eller ja. så vil jeg ha noe i dybden. Og det er derfor podcaster funker på den måten da. Så det er, det er et godt supplement da, tenker jeg til, da har vi foto, vi har video, og så har vi, noe, og så har vi podcaster også, ikke sant? Så... Jeg vet ikke hvor mange episoder vi kommer til å lage, men vi kommer, jeg tror vi skal... Det er, hele poenget er jo å få Lars og, og Eskil, er liksom kanskje det folk vil høre på. Men jeg tenker det er greit å bare få liksom gangen i det før man... Selv vi kjører på med liksom The Big Guns, da. Mm. Så, og så ja. synes jeg det egentlig er veldig riktig å, å skinne litt på de som er bak... For det har jo Lars sagt hele tiden også. At det er liksom greit å gi litt kred til andre også, for det er de... Altså, mm. Lars gjør masse jobb han, men uh, liksom, det er andre, sånn som Per, jeg vet ikke om han vil snakke engelsk en time, men uh, jeg kan spørre han. Det er vanskelig han. å si, jeg har vel knapt nok hørt han snakke engelsk, så det kan jeg ja, det, ikke det. si. <laughs> jeg, jeg skrev jo, det er bare å hive seg fra, bare å melde seg, var noen, men det er ingen som har meldt seg, ja. så jeg må liksom. Åh oh, nei, ja. ok. Ja. Nei, men jeg kommer til å tvinge ja. den, så... Ja. Jeg må bare gjøre det. Ja. ja, jeg synes det er et veldig stilig konsept, da. så håper ja, at dere slår an. Ja, kult supplement, uh, ja. I, hvert fall, i hvert fall nå, når det ikke er så mange andre ting som skjer. Så. Ja. Ja, det er veldig bra. Kjempefint. Kjempe. Ja. Da snakkes vi. Det gjør vi. Mm. Ha det, ha det. Ha det. Ha det.